I want to preach from my book. And uh, the name of the book, again, is Storm Chaser. This is probably not a common name here in the U.K. In Oklahoma, where I live, I watched Storm Chasers last week. We had a tornado hit Tulsa, Oklahoma, last Sunday and Monday. I was there watching the TV. Nobody goes to sleep when tornadoes are in the, in the area. Sitting, watching TV, and the various newscasts were coming, and the guys who chased the storms were bringing their camera, putting their cameras right in the middle of the tornadoes and everything that's going. You were watching roofs fly off of buildings and all the rest of that stuff, and uh, they're there giving us a report because that's what they do. They're storm chasers. Now, in a spiritual sense, that's what God has called me to do. I don't go to anywhere that's easy. Uh, we are involved right now in building. We've built an orphanage in Burma, which is communist. Uh, we are teaching 2,500 students in China, which is also communist. Uh, we have built seven homes for widows and taught 6,500 widows and orphans to read and write in Afghanistan. We are in the hardest places in the world. Um, I'm smuggling Bibles into Iran. Uh, and I won't go into how we do that. Uh, some of you will laugh a little bit. You remember the stories. We're using drug smugglers who've hauled heroin into Iraq, and they're going back with our Bibles on their horseback by the hundreds. And we've just put 50,000 Bibles on the ground in Iran. Would you like to say praise the Lord for that? But here's the byline for my book. Whatever storm... You are facing. The power of God is there for you in the storm. And that power can change your world. That's what I want to preach about this morning in these next few moments. First of all, let me try to define for you what a storm is. Many words in the Bible can be used and called a storm. The Bible speaks of tribulation. We understand that word. I, I remember I was traveling with Oral Roberts on the road, and his co-evangelist, Bob Deweese, I was working in the crusade, and this lady came down to the front meeting. She said, I want you to pray that God will give me patience. So Bob put his hand on her, her head and said, God, give her tribulation. She grabbed his hand and yanked it off. She said, that's not what I asked for. I asked for, for patience. He prays it again. God, give her tribulation. She grabbed it off again. He said, well, why in the world are you praying that? He said, well, lady, the Bible says tribulation works patience. If you want to get to the patience, you've got to go through the tribulation first. How many of you found that's the way that works? But there's a lot of words in the Bible, like a trial, a test, problems. I remember I, I've just, uh, I'm going for the third time through The Purpose Driven Life written by Rick Warren. I preached in his church in November uh, in California. It's the largest church in America. And uh, I was uh, doing uh, uh, some stuff on Iraq with a pastor's conference. There were about 1,200 pastors there. But he said something in his book, and I'll never forget it. He said, life is full of problems. Now, that doesn't sound like a great message that you want to hear, nor I want to hear, but life is full of problems. He says you're either in the middle of one, 
you're coming out of one or you're going into another one. Come on, is that true or is that true? He said, God is not interested in your comfort. God is interested in your endurance, in your character. God is after character, and the happiness can be there, and the comfort can be there, but what God really wants from you is character. What is character? Is the backbone there to stand when things are tough and everything's going wrong? Uh, So there are many different words, problems, adversity, suffering, temptation, hardships. Isn't it amazing? All these words mean storms. Hardships, afflictions, ordeal, distress, difficulty, hard times, fiery trial, or disappointment. Now, uh, if we've got my PowerPoint scriptures at the back, I'm wondering if you can put them up on the screen for me. Uh, These are the uh, scriptures from a message this this morning. There we go. I think we're on the right direction. We need some scripture. There you go. This is my first scripture. I want to read it to you. My brethren, count it all joy. Now, that's ridiculous. Who in the world wants to count it all joy? But, hey, we got a problem. It's in the Bible. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces, I like the word endurance there better than patience, and it's used that, uh, that way in other translations, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I doubt there are more than one or two people in this building, and that means that's Ray and me who count it all joy when we fall into various trials. <laughs> it's just not something we do. But let me give you a series of scriptures because the Bible is full of talk about storms and what you and I must do in order to endure the storms that come our way. Here's another scripture in Romans chapter 5. Not only that, here it is again, but we glory in tribulation. Anybody get up and have a dancing spell because you're going through a tribulation? I don't think so. This is not normal here. We also glory. The word glory there in the Greek is the word exult, to boast, to boast loudly, to shout with, with excitement about tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces endurance. There's the same word again. Here it's perseverance. Same word, endurance. Endurance, character. Character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's wonderful. Look at the progression. First, it all starts with trouble. Problems. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Oh, this is another one now. It switched it on me while I was. Here we are. Uh, Tribulation produces endurance. Endurance character. Character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Let's go to the next one now. This is Jesus. James and Paul have told us what they think. What does Jesus say? 
These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have. Anybody want to read the next word? You're kind of reluctant the way you read that here this morning. In the world you will have tribulation, but I love the end of the verse. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. One more verse in Matthew 7. This is the parable that all of us used to sing in Sunday school. Or, or do you sing that here in the U.K.? The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you are too young to know what I'm singing about? That's most of the crowd probably. But notice this now. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice what happened to the wise man. Three things. Number one, the rain descended. Number two, the floods came. Boy, he must have been in Wales. That guy came from Wales. I had the wind blowing through the window where I was staying last night like a banshee. I know what a banshee sounds like now. A Welsh banshee. I heard my own last night. But here, here it is. The rain descended. The floods came. The winds blew. Now, he said, this is going to happen. If you are a believer in the word, if you built your house on a rock, expect it. It's coming. Rain. Floods. Winds blew, beat on the house, but it didn't fall, for it was founded on the rock. Next, Let's go to the next one. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them not will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And what happens to the foolish man? Same thing that happened to, to the wise man, isn't it? Same thing. Let's say it. Rain, floods, and wind. And they beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The message I'm trying to get across is all through Scripture, all through the New Testament particularly, James, Paul, Peter has other verses I, I don't have time to read this morning. Now, here we have Jesus, and this is Jesus' parable. There's one more parable of Jesus I want to turn to before I move on to what I have to say, and that's in Mark chapter 4. Now, uh, this is the parable of the sower. And the seed has been sown on various kinds of ground. Look, look what it says. These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, these are believers, they immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves. And so endure. Here's the word endure. It's all about endurance. And so they endure only for a time. But afterward, what happens now? Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. What does that mean? Jesus is saying there's going to be tribulation and there's going to be persecution, and the word there is will we stand. Now, let me comment on these verses. First of all, there's two kinds of storms that you endure. There's the external, and these are the ones we think of mostly. What we don't think of in terms of storms are the internal. And the internal are more important than the external. The external storms for your life may be circumstances we've already heard, Pastor. 
pray for, for jobs for those who may have lost a job, uh, relationships, divorce, uh, uh, finance, problems in finance, sickness in the body, physical bodies, family blowing up on you or uh, family going wrong. Many things can happen in an external sense. It's not what hits you on the outside. It's what it does to you on the inside that is the problem with the storms. Are you hearing me? It's what is happening on the inside. How are you responding to the lack of a job? How are you responding to the economy in your nation right now? How are you responding when you've been told by a doctor you're not, you don't have very much time to live? These are real-life situations. They happen. And you are the only one that controls what goes on inside of you when the storm hits. That's, that's a fact. How you respond makes all the difference in the world. Do you get angry? A lot of us do. I do on occasion. How about bitterness? Boy, that's one of the biggest curses in the body of Christ. How about resentment? How about heartache? How about disappointment? I deserve better than this. I remember when my wife lost her life, and I was here in the U.K. I had to get on an airplane, fly back home to Dallas and on to where I live in Tulsa. I told the Lord a hundred times, I deserve better than this. I've been out working for you, giving my life, and my wife is gone. Disappointment is real. Fear is something else that strikes. But the big one for me is unforgiveness. There are so many people in the body of Christ who have not forgiven others who have hurt them in one way or another. And I don't have time to preach on that fully here this morning, but I tell you, it's a huge, huge problem. Regret, abandonment, there are, there are so many things that happen in life. And, and how we determine to respond is the is, is the basic part of our living and the way we're walking with God. Uh, I remember when we had a tornado, a, a, a F5 tornado, two years ago in Moore, Oklahoma. The whole world watched while one tornado a mile wide, miles, mile per hour in excess of 200 miles an hour, came rolling through, through Moore, Oklahoma. My wife and I drove, we were in Tulsa, 90 miles away. We drove down to observe the tornado after it hit. One thing that really touched my heart, it was a house totally demolished. Just, just a, a mile of devastation. Nothing standing. Nothing standing. And I saw a man who, well, he, his picture window was still up uh, in the house amongst the rubble. And he'd taken a board and he'd written on the board, God is good. There's a man in the middle of a storm who knows how to keep level with God. I saw in another house a um, sign outside the house said, house for sale, two bedroom, two bath, Open floor plan. It was destroyed. There was, there was nothing there. Open floor plan. I thought to myself, someone who can write that, who can write that kind of thing on his house, he's all right. 
he's handled it the proper way. Uh, what do you do when the storms come? This is really important. It's why I wrote the book on Storm Chaser. I, I feel it's the one thing that God wanted me to write that was really important. So I want to tell you a personal story, if I may, right now, that uh, kind of highlights what I'm trying to talk to you about in terms of biblical words. I came down from Canada to Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1968 to go to Oral Roberts University. I became a member of the first graduating class of the school in my last year in school. I formed a music group called Living Sound on campus. How many of you have ever heard Living Sound over here in the UK? Some of you who are older, yeah, I see hands around the building, so you know who I'm talking about. Uh, we gathered together, just sat in a room and said, let's do some music, and we went for our first concert to a charismatic Baptist church in Kansas City. And uh, I remember we saw 60 people get saved that weekend. And I knew there was an anointing from God on what we were doing. Uh, I got up to preach Sunday morning. The group had sung. There was a sweet spirit of the Lord in the place. And all of a sudden, this voice from the back comes booming out prophetically, and here's what he said. We, I wrote it down. I have ordained you to go to the nations. There will come a time when you are homeless. Don't be afraid. I have called you to the nations as kings to conquer. That was the word of the Lord coming directly to me, and I received it as from the Lord. So Larry Dalton and I made a plan for Living Sound. The next week, we called everybody together and said, we believe that the Lord has called us to South Africa. We're going to South Africa for a year. How many of you would like to be involved? Everyone to a person agreed to go. And so we set up a plan that summer. We itinerated in churches across America, going everywhere we could, and we had to raise the uh, $18,000 for our air tickets to get over. We lived on nothing. We saved everything we had. Um, you can't imagine the extent of sacrifice in that summer itinerating. But when we applied for our visas to South Africa, South Africa, as you know, at that time had apartheid. They thought we were coming to protest apartheid, and they refused to give us visas. And we had traveled and announced all across the country that we were going to go. I didn't know what to do. But on December 15, 1969, I made a decision that we would fly immediately north of South Africa into Rhodesia, what is now Zimbabwe. And uh, we would prove our good intentions, and then they would allow us into South Africa. So we took our $18,000. We put it down on tickets. And we flew from, uh, from New York City into Europe, and then Europe into Salzburg, Rhodesia, when I got off the airplane in Africa. I remember we, I walked down the, uh, down the gangplank of the airplane, and, and the warm African breezes hit us, and I had such an emotional response inside. Finally, we're here. 
But as I walk down the gangplank, somebody's calling Terry Law. Terry Law. I walked over to a man who looked like he was an immigration official, which he was. And he said, are these the names of the people in your group? And he read the name. Everyone in our group was on that piece of paper. I said, where did you get that? He said, I'm not here to explain it, nor am I here uh, with a with a nice message. He said, we are demanding, our government is demanding that you get back on the plane. We will not allow you into our country. I got 18,000 bucks on this. Now, that doesn't may, may not sound like a whole lot now. It was a whole lot uh, 40 years ago. I looked at the man and said, why? We haven't broken any laws. He said, please don't argue. Get back on the plane. That plane ended its flight in Africa in a town called Baira, Mozambique, on the hip of Africa. And uh, we got off the plane. We didn't know what to do. We had, didn't have any money. They put us in a, a hotel called the Estoril in Baira, Mozambique. It was over 100 degrees every day. I remember uh, saying to God, what in the world are you doing? I believe I heard your voice. And, and, and here's what we begin to do, and, and maybe you've done this. We all thought, well, maybe we need to fast and pray. So we fasted and we prayed. Maybe we need to rebuke the devil, somebody said, so we rebuked the devil like he'd never been rebuked. Someone else said, well, you've got to praise the Lord for victory, so we all praise the Lord. Someone else said, well, you need to repent, so we all repented. Someone said, well, you need more of the communion, so we would have and celebrate communion every day. And in the middle of it all, we're crying, God, Why? This is a storm. We didn't sign up for this. This is not something we're asking for. And the biggest crisis of all was inside of Terry Law. Because I had stood up after that prophetic word, put my neck on a line, and said, let's go out, raise the money, and let's go to Africa. And finally, after three weeks, we owed twenty, or I mean, we owed $2,000 in food to the hotel. I had no money to pay for it. I had no idea. We were, I was calling senators, congressmen, everybody I could call. Nothing was happening. And finally, after three weeks, the immigration official in Byra called me into his office. He said, I'm sorry, Mr. Law, we are deporting you to the United States. We're sending you home. As we were flying back against, across the Atlantic, you have no idea what I felt like. I felt like a total failure. I felt, I don't know how to hear the voice of God. I thought I heard it and it's blown up in my face. One of my guys, a bass singer, came up to me on the aisle while I was sitting on the aisle with my wife, Jan, and, and he said, uh, I'll never trust God again as long as I live. He's pulled the rug out from under us. We gave our lives, and we've done everything we know how to do. See, friends, if you don't make it through the storm, you're just not going to make it. When we landed in New York City... It was the worst weather in 99 years. 20 below zero. My wife Jan is in a short sleeve cotton shirt, cotton dress, prepared for Africa, and we're standing in a snowbank outside of the airport in Kennedy Airport, uh, New York City. I remember kicking the foot, kicking the ground or the snow with my foot. 
and saying, Lord, I, I don't know that I can ever trust you again. We had friends in Philadelphia. They put us up in a teen challenge center. And uh, we thought it was over. If I'd have had money, I would have sent everybody home. We had no money, so we couldn't send anybody home. And we just stayed there on hold, wondering what God was doing. Then on a Saturday morning, a man showed up whose name was Reverend Rodney Whittle from Minneapolis. He'd felt led from God to come all the way from Minneapolis to Philadelphia to preach a teen challenge. We didn't know who he was. Nobody in our group was aware of him. He got up to preach, and here's what he said when he preached. What do you do when you know that God has called you, yet it seems as though he's taking that calling away? What do you do when you pray, and there's only silence in return? We were facing the silence of God. I remember sitting there and looking, and there was Bo. The guy said he'd never trust God again, and his eyes rimmed with tears. My wife, Jan, was weeping openly. Larry, I saw him emotion. I'd never seen him that way before. And then the guy went on and said this, even when God is completely silent, he is there still with you. And when it seems like he's broken all of his promises and revoked his calling, he will remain faithful to make that call a reality. But sometimes we've got to come to the end of our plans in order for God to accomplish his. When he was done talking, I asked him to come to a side room. We sat down and I poured out our tale of woe, $18,000 gone, back from Africa. We're totally disillusioned. What do we do? And he sat there looking at us, and he bowed his head and prayed for about 30 seconds. Then he opened up his eyes, and he pointed his finger to me across the room. He said, Terry Law, this is the word of the Lord. You will be in Johannesburg, South Africa, in seven days. I said, sir, that's impossible. We have no money. We have no visas. We've been shut down. He said, you'll be there in a week. Next week, on Wednesday, four days later, I had two telephone calls. The first one was from the State Department in Washington. They said, Mr. Law, your visas are cleared. South Africa has agreed to allow you to come. I said, that's wonderful. Do you have any extra tax money in Washington you'd like to send some young people to Africa with? He was not amused. The second call the same day. Pastor friend of mine in California called me. He said, Terry, you're not going to believe it. I have a friend who works in Swiss Air. We went and told Swiss Air about your difficulty and they have guaranteed you tickets to go to Africa, and they will guarantee you tickets to return. Within seven days, we landed in Johannesburg, South Africa. Now, I got to tell you this story. Why? Because you think, you see somebody on a platform, and I tell you the glowing stories of what I've done and, and where I'm going, you know, ad infinitum, 
but you don't know what's gone beforehand to get you ready. Do you know what happened? When we landed in Johannesburg, in the next 10 months, we had 10,000 decisions for Jesus Christ. 10,000 of them. But two months after we landed, I was praying in the back room in a church 60 miles out of Johannesburg in the town of Springs. I was in the back room of the church. The church was packed to overflowing, 650 people. I was praying in the back room with my, my Bible on the floor. And Jesus came in the room. And he spoke to me. And he said, I'm going to send you to the closed nations of the earth. You're going to do things there that most men would believe impossible. If you'll trust me and be obedient, I will protect you. I tell you these wild stories and you laugh about them. I had to go through the Battle of Armageddon to get to the place where God could trust me with the next call. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And there are people in this room going through storms, and you don't know why in the world you're going through them. It doesn't make one lick of sense. How do you, how do you interpret what God is saying? And you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. There's three points about faith that I want to make as I close this morning. Number one, if you've got faith, if you want to get faith, the Bible says you've got to confess with your mouth the word of God, and that's how faith comes. Number one. Number two, if you've got faith, you don't shout about it and talk to everybody else about it. If you've got faith, you'll go out and do something because real faith works. Can I say that again? Real faith works. And there, uh, James says, you show me your faith by what you talk about. I'll show you my faith by my works. And the, fir the third fact of faith that no most of us don't want to hear preached about is faith must be tested. I remember my daughter. It was Christmas time. She'd lost her mother three months before sitting around the Christmas tree and her saying to me, Daddy, why did it have to be my mommy? I didn't want that. I didn't ask for that. But I read this scripture verse to my own daughter. No temptation has overtaken us except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able and will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I don't care what you're going through. You wouldn't be going through it if God didn't trust you to make it through to the other side. You may be in the middle of the storm, but think what happens when we get through the storm and the other side and we've got something to talk about and tell the world about. Come on. There's always... There's always the other side of the storm. Always the other side of the storm. So you sit there this morning and you say to me or you ask me this question.
Terry, why is God silent? The answer is so simple, it's like falling off a log. God is silent because if he wasn't silent and explained to you everything he's doing, then you wouldn't have to believe him for anything. Faith would be unnecessary. The silence of God is there facing you in your face right now, today, in the job, your body, physically, whatever else you're going through. It's there for one reason. God's saying, trust me. Believe me. Endure. And you're going to get through to the other side. Praise the Lord. That's my message for you this morning. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you love us infinitely, but sometimes the bush needs to be pruned. Sometimes whom a father loves, he disciplines. And this morning as we sit here, we are all trophies of your grace. We wouldn't be here if Jesus hadn't died. We wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for the fact that you've made us a part of your family and we belong to you and we call you Father. But Father, there's some of your children here who are suffering and they don't understand. And there's pain in their heart, maybe pain in their bodies pain in their relationships, pain in what's happening to them now. Father, I pray that in this moment you minister faith to our hearts, knowing that you are leading us through. You are in the storm. That's where we find you. We find you in the storm. That's always where you are. Because in the middle of that storm, we find grace. And that grace carries us through to the other side. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to ask a straightforward question this morning. How many in this room are going through a storm? Would you slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not asking you to come to the altar. Just hold a hand up. You're going through a storm this morning. Yes. I see hands scattered all through the crowd, scores of people. If you've got your hand up, would you stand right where you are? Just stay where you are. Just stand up where you are. A lot of us are in storms, aren't we? This word was from the Lord this morning. Now, if you're not standing... I want you to get up and move across the aisle or wherever you have to, but go to someone who's standing. I want you to reach out and put your hand on their shoulder, on their back, on their arm. And we're going to pray for one another. We're the body of Christ. We're holding each other up. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to repeat the prayer with me across the room, if you would, please. This is particularly for those in the storm. Let's pray it together. Dear Heavenly Father,
Everyone together. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the God of storms. And I stand here this morning. I've been beaten by the wind, beaten by the wind and the rain. And I need help. And I'm coming to you, Father. And I make a pledge in my heart. I determined with all the faith in my life, I will trust you. I will hang on to you. You will not let me go. And you are bringing me through to the other side. I believe that. And before it ever happens, I want to say thank you, Father. I want to count it all joy when I come into this test, in this trial, I count it all joy because you're testing my faith. And my faith is going to stand. I declare with my lips, my faith will stand in the midst of the storm. And I find you this morning, my heavenly Father, I find you in the middle of my storm. And I want to thank you now and praise your name with all my heart. Let's begin to praise the Lord across the room this morning. Everyone, shout to the Lord with a joy, the voice of triumph. been an honor to be here. We love you. I know this word is spoken to a lot of folk, and we're coming through. We're coming through. And just think, what are you going to have to tell everybody around you in your life when you walk through the storm? And they see the victory that God has given. They see your endurance and that you've stood. Parents, what are your children going to think when they see you go through that and you've got a message, a life message to give them? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.